Welcome back to another episode of Coach Coddle's Corner, where you get to hear some of the greatest stories from some of the greatest people in the world of lacrosse. Coach, who do we have on the podcast today? Well, we're here with the great John Desco, and we want to do it. We wanted to do this podcast because he's meant so much to the game of lacrosse and so much to the people of Syracuse and the players of Syracuse. And, you know, my personal relationship with John is one that when I got to know John when he was an assistant coach at Syracuse while I was coaching at Loyola, there was just something about the class of the man. And for a guy who's been a part of as many championships as he has, the lack of pretentiousness was the thing that was so obvious to me that he was just a great, decent man and I'm really looking forward to the opportunity to talk about or to have John talk about his time at Syracuse and what's new with his life. We'll be back after a word from our sponsor. Today's episode is presented by Demosphere. What do you need from your technology partner? Customized registration, league and scheduling tools, a platform that streamlines work across your entire organization. Demosphere has all that and more with one login. Reach out today to the team behind the team sports before your next season. Welcome, Coach. Well, thanks for help hang, having me, and, and thanks for those kind words. John, 46 years at the same place? Yeah, uh, four of those years were, was as a player, so it depends on how you want to, uh, to look at it. But, yeah, I've been at the university for 46 years. 46 years. And you were an assistant coach for 19 years under the great Roy Simmons. And uh, and you were a part of, what, five championships there as assistant coach? Or six championships? Six, if you count the asterisk. Yeah, well, well I, we don't count it, so you might as well count it. <laughs> you know. Uh, what yeah, was it like to work for Roy Simmons? It was great. Um you know, after playing for him for four years, and then I had a few credits to finish towards graduation, and the assistant coach, uh, Jay Gallagher, uh, had left uh, the year that I graduated. And, um, you know, so there was an opening at the, there, and I just, I got a tap on my shoulder, and uh, Coach Simmons asked me, geez, what are you, what are you doing next year? And I said, you know, I'm going to probably be working and finishing up some credits. And he said, well, why don't you stay on, is uh, take Jay Gallagher's spot and stay on as the assistant coach. And it just, uh, you know, it was kind of a little bit of a lightning bolt. And uh, I said, wow, this, you know, what an opportunity. Uh, it didn't really pay anything, but uh, it let me stay in the game uh, that I love so much and enjoyed playing so much at Syracuse that uh, it just, you know, the, re the rest is history. I had a lot of fun coaching uh, with Roy. I learned a lot from him uh, as a player and how he handled himself with uh, his players. Uh, a little bit of that rubbed off on me. And, of course, I was, you know, I'm coming from uh, high school at West Genesee High School. Bill Warmoth, who was a Syracuse grad, was, was my high school coach. And then uh, the great Mike Messere, uh, was my modified and freshman coach, and, you know, we stayed in touch. So I'm coming from, uh, you know, pretty good roots uh, in high school and, and junior high and, and uh, freshman year. 
So I brought some of that with me to Syracuse and uh, I think we were a little bit of good cop, bad cop. <laughs> I might've been a little bit more of the bad cop, especially at an earlier age, but, and uh, we became uh, great friends. Uh, and then financially I was, you know, working on the side to, to keep my head above water. And uh, so Roy Hilt would help me out there in any way that he could. And we started lacrosse camp uh, a couple of years after I was at Syracuse and uh, that helped pay the bills at the time. And eventually the job got better. Uh, and I, you know, I stay with, in touch with Coach Simmons today. What made him so special? He was so uh, diversified. You know, a lot of coaches are coming from, uh, you know, probably a disciplined background, uh, used to just coaching where – I think his artistic background uh, came into play. I think he went from a phys ed major to a fine arts major and a great football player by the name of Jim Brown, excuse me, uh, Jim Brown was there, but uh, Jim Ridlon, uh, who played for, ended up, I think, playing for the Dallas Cowboys. They were good friends and, uh, you know, good friends today. And um, I think that influence of the, the fine arts side and then with the athletic side, was pretty unique for uh, a college lacrosse coach, any any coach at, at the time. So I think he brought some of that with him. I know that we would go on trips and he would, uh, depending on where we went, he would take us to uh, a museum or something that was historical, a historical background for the area. And uh, yeah, that was, I think, pretty unique at the time also. So I think that, and just his, his attitude, he was, uh, you know, he definitely had uh, fire in his belly, uh, but he knew when to use it and when not to use it. And uh, his players, I don't think you, very few players that you could talk to today that played for him don't have fond memories and, and a love for him uh, as a person and as a coach. Back then, John, uh, when you guys, when Coach Simmons was head coach and you're I had an opportunity to come watch a practice and I was amazed how much full field unsettled and transitioned that Syracuse did. You know, the rest of us are trying to, you know, uh, play, play checkers and you guys were playing chess. You were running up and down the field and your transition game was outstanding. But that carried through with you being the head coach. Why is that so important? Well, you know, we would always say the way it should be played, right? So, you know, even even today I look and I, I, I see, you know, I mean, coaches are making real money now and they're 24-7 they're into it. And, uh, you know, back then I would have looked at it as, as they're being overcoached. But when, you know, people are, are being paid and, uh, you know, if they want to keep their jobs, they've got to win, you, you evaluate your team and, uh, you know, you decide what you can do and what you can't do. And obviously, obviously you evaluate your opponents. And I think, you know, back then it was, it was more open. We were able to, uh, we were fortunate that this area, the central New York area was very good in high school lacrosse. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were able to keep most of the guys at home. And I think the, uh, you know, a lot of the guys were three sport athletes back in the day and they were athletic 
and we played, uh, you know, growing up, I remember, you know, a midfielder played, stayed on the field. He didn't, he didn't run off the field. The only time he came off the field when he felt he was tired. So you played offense and defense and you got up and down the field. And I, I, you know, I like that style of lacrosse. I think it makes better lacrosse players. I really don't like it when young kids um, specialize in a position. I'd rather see them play all positions. And, and I think they learn more about the game and, and they kind of figure out where they can go from there with it. Uh, but, uh, you know, we were able to keep those good players at home and we were able to get up and down. And uh, Roy wanted to be uh, aggressive offensively and defensively. And you probably remember back then, Dave, when uh, when you were on defense and you checked somebody's stick, the ball would come out. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you could, you could be aggressive and, and create some turnovers and then push the ball up the field as a result. I, I remember there were a couple game clips where we think we had uh, Hans Schmid, uh, Rick Beardsley, and Chad Smith were our close defensemen. And I remember looking at the film after the game a couple times, and uh, all three close defensemen were at the offensive end of the field trying to score. And uh, what the amazing part was is that there were three midfielders uh, at the midline holding their sticks up because you know, they saw, they knew the attitude of those defenders and they were going to run over and they were going to try to play offense whenever they could. And just the fact that those middies knew that that was in the back of their mind, they were smart enough to stay back. So we weren't on offsides. So, yeah, I mean, Syracuse, one of the things we used to worry about is when we ran on you is if we didn't score, then the reverse transition getting back because you guys never stopped on the first transition or the third transition if you got stops. <laughs> it was, and you know, the ability for your defenseman to pick the ball off the ground was in when, when it early, you know, 90s all on through, the ability for your poles to pick the ball off the ground was different than everybody else. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not so sure that, uh, you know, back then I, not at first, but after we got a little bit of a reputation for that, I think players uh, were attracted to that style of play, and it probably helped us in the recruiting aspect of it. Um, so we were able to get those kinds of guys. And, uh, I remember even myself, it helped me. I, I came to Syracuse. I was a midfielder for two years, and we were really hurting at close defense. And another guy from West Tennessee by the name of Bill Udovich and I switched from uh, midfield to defense. And uh, I'm not sure we wanted to at first, but uh, <laughs> it worked out for us. We both became All-Americans and uh, played 60 minutes every game. So on uh, captain the team a couple of years. So it turned out to be a, you know, a good move. It's where I should have been to begin with, I guess. And, and the last Simmons uh, question, Roy three. What has Roy three meant to you personally and to the Syracuse program? Well, Roy three was uh, a, a year behind, came out of Fayetteville Manlius High School, and we became uh, good friends early on. Obviously, teammates uh, get along and for, for the most part, and uh, you get to know everybody pretty well on your team. But um, became a, a friend of mine while we were playing. And then staying on with Coach Simmons, uh, you know, helped coach him for a year. And then he came uh, on the staff. Uh, I'm trying to think of the year that he came on the staff. He had gone to 
it was a gangs counselor and coached in the area. I know at uh, Baldensville High School, and then went on and started lacrosse at uh, Cuca College, where he met uh, his wife. And then uh, they were coming back to Syracuse after a couple of years after he started the program. His wife had a a job here at the university in housing, and uh, I remember bringing you know Roy and myself bringing him on as an assistant coach. And, uh, you know, we got to know each other even even better as the years went on. And he's basically been there, you know, since that point with me in one aspect or another um, in the office every day for the last, I don't know how many years, maybe 30 some years. And, um, well, and then be playing together so we can add another four years on top of that. So, yeah, probably about 40 years, you know. So uh, when you see somebody every day, or pretty, you know, six days a week anyways, uh, uh, for most all day long. And then during practice, you get to know somebody pretty well. And, uh, he's a, a lot like his father. He's, uh, just a, a good guy. The players seem to, uh, you know, gravitate towards him. I think that, uh, whether he was an assistant coach or director of operations, there'd always seems like there'd always be somebody from the team. Uh, when they'd come over and want to talk to somebody, they'd go into his office and sit down and, and, and talk with him. Uh, probably, you know, having that uh, guidance counselor background and, uh, you know, the psychology aspect of it and his, you know, the way his father was with people, I think probably uh, helped him uh, deal with uh, people and athletes and lacrosse players. So I think there was a natural attraction to go in and, and talk to Roy Simmons III. When you were named the head coach, it was the first time since 1931 that a man with the last name not being of Simmons was the head coach at Syracuse, 1931. And and having his son on your staff, you know, had to be, you know, had to be an interesting thing. And uh, it, it just shows the strength of the relationship that you two had. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's uh, – I remember that – I didn't think too much about it then. Uh, you probably think, not that I think too much about it today, but, you, you know, you bring up a good point. And uh, I think the athletic director at the time was Drake Krauthammel. Um, You know, he would occasionally swing by a practice. And I know that we had to do, or the administration had to do um, a search, uh, especially with all the HR issues uh, at the time. So I did a search and I, uh, I was able to get through that and uh, be able to be hired. But yeah, that was, uh, that's a great point. And uh, it does, it, it speaks for the relationship and uh, the confidence uh, that uh, people had in me at the time. So how did the number 22 take off at Syracuse? What made 22 happen? Really, that was Coach Simmons Jr. Um, you know, uh, as you mentioned, Roy Simmons uh, Sr. Uh, was a football, boxing, and uh, lacrosse coach at the university. And, of course, uh, fo especially football, the number 44 uh, was a famous number, you know, with Jim Brown and Ernie Davis and Floyd Little and, and so on. And they would recruit with that number. So... Roy had, uh, I don't remember exactly, but Roy had basically made 22 uh, the number to have at, at Syracuse. And 
tried to give that to who we thought was going to be or who he thought was going to be probably the, the best player. He really believed in uh, heroes. And he thought that the game of lacrosse needed more heroes. You know, like today you think of, uh, you know, Brady or uh, some of the great basketball players you know, that uh, that uh, I think players like to emulate and think of as, as their hero. And it's uh, that's what he thought lacrosse needed. So he tried to make associate that with number 22 and, and make that person uh, a hero. And so we've had a bunch of them that I think that uh, were, were very good players and first team All-Americans. Uh, you know, from from the Powells to the Gates and so on, so that uh, uh, you know. And, and I think when we recruited the Powells, as as you did too, um, they had always they grew up kind of emulating uh, Gary and Paul Gate in the backyard. So I think when Casey, being the oldest, uh, decided to come to Syracuse, uh, you know, he wanted that number twenty two. And, and that's the kind of guy you want, the kind of guy that wants that kind of pressure and, you know, wants to wear that number. And so I, I think that Roy was right. I think the number 22 was a lot of times heroes to many of the young players and uh, others that watch the game of lacrosse. Who saw the Gate brothers play in high school? And uh, obviously they became phenomenal players, but where did you see them and how did that whole thing come about? Um, you froze on me there for a second, but I think I can answer. I think I get the question. Um, then we had uh, Roy had uh, the, well, it was a summertime, and the Canadian national team was practicing. And uh, I think it was Bob Allen was the the head coach, or at least the um, administrator for Canada Lacrosse. And we had gone up a couple of years before uh, one of the world games and scrimmaged and even they were, they had so many box lacrosse players. Uh, they asked us to almost coach their coaches and, and give them some pointers uh, on uh, style and drills and, and aspect of the field game. And so we had gone up and scrimmaged them a couple of times. And uh, as a, as a team, like some alum went with us and, you know, we were able to put together enough guys to make the trip. And it's only, you know, the Canadian border is only what, you know, an hour, hour and a half uh, to the border. And uh, we, we went just over the border and, and met them. And so Bob had always, uh, Coach Allen had always really appreciated uh, what Roy had done. Of course, I think we were kind of, uh, I think Roy was just doing it to help lacrosse. And we were kind of traitors at the time because I think that, uh, I don't know, Canada, Canada men had won or they definitely were in the gold medal game. Uh, and we were, we were the bad guys for helping the Canadians <laughs> and their team. Uh, anyways, uh, Bob had called uh, Roy because they had the next round of tryouts for uh, the World Games. And he had said, that, just to let you know, these two high school guys are from the West Coast. Uh, they're twins in the name of uh, Gary and Paul Gate. And uh, you ought to keep an eye on them because uh, they were on the verge of making a team. He said, they almost could have made the team. 
and they're you know at their level they're so dominating uh, at the high school level that uh, uh, you should try to see them and then um, that was a year of the one of the years of when they had the national sports festival so it was kind of like a mini olympics where um, teams would go you know from other countries and, and play kind of kind of like world games and um, they were on the, they were going to be on the east coast of of canada and gary and paul were on that one of those teams and um, so we decided to go up and watch Gary and Paul play. So we hopped in the car and went over the Canadian border and it was a long trip. It was, I can't remember the town that the games were in and it was box lacrosse. So we went up and watched them play a few box lacrosse games and they were, they were like the biggest guy in the, on the rink, biggest guys. And they were pretty dominating. Gary was more of a finesse guy. He would, you know, make moves and run around you run around the opposing defensive players and Paul would just run over them. And uh, so we kind of took, you know, it it was a different evaluation. I don't think there was a lot of, uh, not a ton of uh, Canadians playing in the, in the American game at the college level and other than like a Huntley. But uh, so so we took a a little bit of a chance on them and they came down and they came mid year. So they didn't come in the fall. So there was no fall across for them. So they had to pick everything up and we were, uh, uh, guys are kind of looking at us cross-eyed where these two Canucks come from. <laughs> and, uh, they, uh, made a big in- impression on the team, got along with the guys very well. And as we figured them out, they were, it turned into, you know, very dominating players, even at the freshman year, I think we ended up going to the national championship game, uh, with those two guys and, uh, you know, and a pretty good team besides, and I'll never forget uh, Gary after the game uh, talking with uh, Coach Simmons. He said, you know, Coach, now that we've got this all figured out, uh, we won't lose another one of these again. And I wow, that's pretty bold, pretty bold comment for, you know, a freshman on, the, on a college team. And they were, they were right. We went on and won the next three national championships. And it was uh, quite a treat being able to coach those guys. So that leads me to the Powell brothers. How did that work out? <laughs> uh, worked out pretty good. They, uh, you know, we thought, I think I, I probably talked to you quite a bit about the Powell, especially Casey. And what was kind of interesting about that is they played for Carthage High School, which is oh, probably an hour, an hour and a half north of Syracuse. So we tell everybody they wanted to go south or to play college lacrosse because they were, they were north. <laughs> and what was interesting about that was, uh, well, Kirk Venequatro, another great coach at Carthage and just a, another great guy that everybody loves that knows him. They, uh, when Carthage was going to start playing lacrosse, they didn't put it in at the high school level at first, they put it at like the modified and freshman level and then JV and then varsity. So, um, I'm I'm sure about the JV piece of it. So as the players at a younger age came up, they kept adding their level of of the play was at Carthage high school. And I want to say, I don't know if Casey, if they started varsity when Casey was a freshman or a sophomore, I don't remember. 
but uh, they added it when when uh, you know, Casey was young, and then he played for the next three years. And he, you know, obviously uh, broke all kinds of you know county records and um, you know playing up there. You, you're going to have to remind me. Was Kaufman? Uh, he was he older than Casey who played at uh, yes. Salisbury. Yeah, and um, so in. Uh, and Ian Dingman we, too. Watched, yeah, yeah. Dingman was younger, right? Yeah, yeah he was, was younger. younger. Yeah. For a small town and, like uh, Carthage, John, to create, you know, it's a credit to Kurt Ventraquatra for a small town like Carthage to create so many superstars in lacrosse today. It's for the amount of players that they had is incredible. It, you hit it right on the head. It, it, it is incredible to this day, the, the number of guys that came out from this little mill town. Um, yeah, it's, uh, and I think they just, uh, you know, probably saw the older ones have success and uh, they're all athletic kids. And, you know, especially at a small school, the coaches have to share their athletes pretty well, you know, because you don't have enough uh, players, male athletes at the school. So if you're the football coach or basketball coach or lacrosse coach, um, you got to learn to share these guys and not, you know, force them to play one sport because there's just not enough to go around. So we, there we go back to the uh, old school days of playing three sports and not specializing too soon. And to be able to put uh, uh, some outstanding college lacrosse players out there from a small place. Uh, yeah, my hat's off to him uh, and he's done a great job and, and they all seem to have a real passion, uh, you know, for the sport. So if I, I'm going to say a player's name and you tell me what you, what their strengths and weakness, well, their strengths were. Casey Powell. Uh, geez, you know, he, a unique player. Uh, the way he played, you know, with his great quickness and uh, foot speed, you kind of never looked at him as a, as a big guy. But Casey's a good 6'1", 6'2", and uh, very creative. I mean – you know, behind the back, explosive, change of direction, um, sees the field very well. Obviously, a player like that gets doubled so much they get they play with their head up. Um, just a really complete player and and a great athlete, and uh, very creative, very creative. Ryan Powell. Ryan a little different than Casey. Ryan would more of a. Um, more of a strong player uh, had you know had good quickness uh you know okay speed uh but uh you know his his uh love of the game and his ability to see the field and a little bit more he liked to put his back into you and uh kind of f feel the pressure which side it was coming from and go the other way you know both hands uh you know like kate casey a little bit more right than left but they had no problem putting their left hand and um uh, I think he played a little bit more like, obviously, a uh, great student of the game and got his teammates involved. Very good, very, um, maybe a little bit more at the time, a little bit more vocal with his teammates. Uh, obviously, a good leader, but uh, a little different style than, than Casey. And then Mikey, pal. Mikey, um, Mikey, what was Mikey? He'd probably 5'9", so, he'd, you know, Ryan was probably, you know, a good 6'1", 6'2", like Casey. Uh, played a little bit more of his strength, 
but uh, the, the quickness of Mikey was is absolutely incredible. Uh, fast, uh, natural athlete, kind of like uh, a little bit more like Casey than Ryan, and um, just a, a great athlete and uh, uh, just, you know, a little bit different and a little bit more quiet than the other two guys, a little bit more of a leader by example. And but just uh, just athletic. I mean, you know, we use the, the term ankle breaker, and he certainly was an ankle breaker. I am going to go back in here because this was one of my favorite guys to watch play back. Here. Brad Cotts. Yeah, Brad. Uh, if they if you want to use the term competitor, Brad was competitor, and you know how a lot of us like to love to win. He hates to lose and uh, very athletic, a pretty unique player because he faced off also played in the midfield and uh, head up, you know, tribute to Mike Messer, uh, you know, for developing him as a, as a lacrosse player and uh, terrific athlete and very unique in a way where he played with a girl stick. He had no pocket in his stick. So to be able to run down the field, I mean, you or I couldn't <laughs> do it. He had, he, had a, he had a tennis racket for a pocket. and But, you know, I and you probably do, when I would play with my kids, a lot of times I'd pick up a, a women's stick and I liked it because it threw so straight. You know, I could I could shoot or pass the ball very accurately with a with a women's stick, and I he kind of played with one of those. I he used to, if we were good enough to get the ball on man down, we'd have him run it out uh, from the defensive end to the offensive end, and then sometimes when he had to run such a distance, the ball would come out of the stick occasionally. So I had my brother David played with uh, with Brad, and. Uh, we gave it to my brother, David, because he had a little deeper pocket. He was very fast, and he played some attack in high school uh, along with midfield. So we switched it up because it was long ways for Brad to run <laughs> <laughs> to run with a, that type of pocket. But So, in other amazing. words, Brad Cotts was the first Matt Abbott. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, when, back then, we still played both ways. We uh, got him off a little bit more because you definitely wanted him playing offense. Um but uh, yeah, and but just a competitor. If you you look up at the scoreboard and we're behind, you wanted to give the ball to Brad. That's amazing. Here's one that uh, I think was a tremendous player, and I, I can remember what you watching him, and you fell in love with him right away, and did every and and recruited him and got him was Pat McCabe. Yeah, Patty played for uh, Elmont, and I think that was back when they had the Empire State games. And uh, he recruited about five guys off that off that Elmont team, and uh, just like Pat as a as a person, uh, you, you stay and talk every now and then. Today he's a, a great guy, and uh, very aggressive, uh, takeaway player, um, athletic, uh, very offensive. You know, the guy that had one of those great defensive sticks and could bring the ball up the field, and um, just had a great relationship with, with Pat and, uh, and his mom, 
um, especially in uh, uh, just I, whenever I get a call from Patty, I, I pick up the phone because I always enjoy talking to him and just a super individual. Now, and, uh, this is one of the biggest upstate characters of all time, and he's a great guy, Ricky Beardsley. Well, you call him upstate. He's a Westchester guy. I know he is, but he, he thinks he's upstate. <laughs> well, and he is now because he's been here so long. Uh, geez, what a what a personality. Another one of those takeaway guys and uh, extremely vocal. <laughs> uh, you know, he's never, never lost for words. And, and it's kind of funny that we talk about these defensemen. I'll call them all athletic and, and very offensive minded, great stick. Um, take a shoot whenever he had the opportunity, <laughs> you know, and he, he, one of the guys that I talked about, uh, that we'd have three close defensemen at the offensive end of the field and we weren't offsides because they, everybody knew Ricky's personality, but, uh, teammates, uh, loved him, loved to play with him. And, uh, just another, just another great player, good athlete. How, all right, here's one more, and this is because I like him, and uh, and he's he's big in lacrosse right now. Paul Carpenter. Yeah, Paul. Uh, Paul, terrific, and uh, uh, you know he, we mentioned his buddy Rob Cavavit, who we you know we lost a little while ago, and I know Paul is uh, they were best buddies, and uh, came out of Yorktown High School, and just a, we had a great run of uh, Yorktown guys. Another. Another program that just kept spitting out great All-Americans, and uh, played. I think mostly attack. I ended up moving him to the midfield. He uh, he had a, a very good, hard, uh, a lot of velocity outside shot. So it was nice to get him out in front of the goal, uh, and then obviously with Rob behind the goal, uh, you know, finding each other. Um, got up and down the field. Good athlete. Uh, great stick, great finisher, good dodger, and a great teammate, uh, you know, and, uh, and uh, just uh, someone I loved coaching. And to see him be so, so successful today, uh, you know, with uh, ESPN and all his announcing, he's done a great job. And he, I think that, uh, you know, that, that crew especially, I'll give them credit for the way they've announced the game and, and given examples and showed replays. I think they've helped educate uh, fans of the sport of lacrosse and turning some that weren't in fans, weren't fans into fans. Uh, Cause as we all know, the toughest part uh, about getting to know lacrosse is picking up the rules. You know, how come it went off his stick that last time it went out of bounds and gave it to the other team. This time it went off his stick and it was a shot maybe and it went out of bounds um, they got it back. So the, there's some rules in lacrosse that you have to understand to be able to help watch the game a, a little bit better. And I think they've done a great job, especially PC, uh, about educating people about the game of lacrosse. Yeah, Syracuse owned upstate New York for years. And when upstate New York was really good, it, it really helped Syracuse because you could always find players in Long Island and Baltimore and, and, and Hudson Valley. What made, what started the Yorktown connection at Syracuse? Well, I think we were, became pretty aware of Yorktown. Um, you know, got to know 
their coaching staff, I think Jimmy Turnbull, and uh, Yorktown and West Tennessee many times played each other in the in the champ New York State championship games. So there was a rivalry there, and uh, you know when you, when you establish relationships with the coaching staff, and now you've had players come through, and you you see how good they are, and how they've been coached. Um, then you you know you kind of go back to that same program. I mean, look at us and you know Western Tennessee, and as you mentioned, Carthage and and uh, Yorktown, and then that, I think Yorktown just helped that whole Westchester area turn into better lacrosse teams and players and coaches, you know, with uh, Fox Lane and the whole, you know, that whole group down there. So uh, um, they just uh, have done a great job with that. And, uh, you know, as we mentioned, uh, Paul Carcaterra and, and Kev Yvette and the list goes, you know. Roy Colsey, right? Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. All right. Now, who's the one that got away recruiting that you knew was going to be great? And you were disappointed you didn't get them. Yeah, a lot more of them lately. <laughs> <laughs> uh, back in the day, well, uh, geez, you you snagged a guy by the name of Jimmy Blanding, who uh, he he what a great player he turned out to be, huh? Yes, he was another West Tennessee product. Oh, I'm trying to think. Oh. Uh, uh, the Willard boys, when they'd end up going to Maryland, yeah, I think they were, uh, you know, West Tennessee guys and uh, worked really hard to recruit them. And once the, you know, once uh, once the older brother went there, then the younger ones followed. Um, so I, I think I think probably uh, Phil Willard probably was, uh, you know, one of the bigger ones. Now, weren't you guys close to getting John Grant too? Oh, I can tell you a great story on Johnny Grant. So he was uh, he was on his way down to uh, Morrisville, and I want to say uh, Andy Shea was there, and um, he started recruiting some, you know, Canadian players. So Johnny actually stopped with his father, and you, you know his dad, another great all-time lacrosse player, tremendous Canadian player. And uh, they stopped in Syracuse on the way down to Morrisville. And we got him um, an appointment with uh, the head of admissions at the time. And he, uh, head of admissions, after he met with him, said, well, get a semester in at uh, at." Morrisville and, and uh, I'll take a look at your transcript. We'll take you, you know, a, a year from now. And so he, he went to Morrisville and they, geez, they killed everybody. Ended up getting in a, I think that that, that team got in a lot of fights with other teams. <laughs> and some games early, you know, a lot of those, that, that hockey mentality. And uh, then I think John, what did he do? He didn't, I don't think he finished there and, or it was short credit somehow. Anyways, uh, he was going to Delaware because I think Andy went from uh, Morrisville to Delaware and he wasn't a qualifier. And the key was he he signed a letter of intent to go to Delaware. Uh, He didn't get in. um, So he I think he was playing box lacrosse and I called him up. I said, what are you doing? I thought you were going to Delaware. And he's 
he said, no, I, I didn't get admitted and I'm short. Uh, I, I wasn't a qualifier. So I said, send me all your stuff. And he sent me all his transcripts. I think he had taken some courses in, in Canada. And I took it over to our uh, foreign admissions office. And I said, here's this guy. What does he need to be eligible? And they figured it all out. And he actually, I think he sent me a transcript of uh, the junior college that he was at or college that he was going attending. And we picked out the courses that he should take and register. So I got Johnny eligible. He did what he was supposed to do. And on his way down to Syracuse, got him admitted. And uh, he said, oh, coach, um, by the way, I, I signed this letter of intent. Does that mean anything? <laughs> and I said, well, uh, I said, yeah, it does. I didn't know you signed one at the time. And uh, I said, well, why don't you just call the Delaware admissions office and ask for your letter of denial. And uh, you should be all set. At, you'll, the letter of intent will be null and void, and you'll be all set at Syracuse. So he called up the admissions office, and uh, I said, "No, we don't have anything here. We don't. We don't have your your application or your your denial to come to uh, to come to Delaware." Meanwhile, the admissions person called up. Uh, I think Bob Schillinglaw, uh, who was the head coach at, at Delaware, and uh, and uh, they. They called up John and said, "What are you doing? How come you're how come you're asking for your denial?" I said, "Well, I'm going to Syracuse." And said, "Well, you can't you can't go to Syracuse because you're not, you know, you're, you're not a qualifier. If you were you if you were eligible, if you were a qualifier, you could come here just as well go to Syracuse." And uh, so <laughs> he, uh, he 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 had to send his stuff to Delaware. And when he sent the transcript to Delaware, uh, they obviously found out that he was. Uh, admissible and eligible and held him to his, his letter of intent because uh, I think Johnny wanted to come to really wanted to come to Syracuse. So that's that's the, my John Grant story for the day. And, uh, you know, I never even got a thank you card from the Delaware lacrosse. <laughs> that Bob Schilling, oh, he's a bad guy. You know? <laughs> All right. Now, let's get that's the players. Let's go to the teams. Who is the bet you, of your 46 years? At Syracuse, who was the best Syracuse team you, you saw or coached? <sighs> That's a tough question. There are so many good ones. You know, when we won the, the first one was the when we won the champion, our first national championship in the new era in 1983. And you mentioned Cots and and uh, that group of guys. I had two brothers on the team, uh, Jeff and David, and that was a. Uh, a really good team, but probably the most, you know, you got to think about maybe the most successful and the most dominating uh, was the gate era. And not only were they, uh, uh, you know, maybe the best players or in college lacrosse and, you know, Gary Paul, maybe the best ever. Right. Uh, and then to have twins, you know, to have book, <laughs> not, not just one of them, but we had two. And then you throw the supporting cast uh, out there where they were, you know, we just had great players and uh, some JUCO transfers, uh, Rodney Dumpson and Keith Owens and Greg Burns, uh, you know, from the local area and Zalberti. I mean, they're, they're just that, that, that those teams were, were loaded. Were loaded. Yeah. How about John? You, you, lately, Syracuse lacrosse has had some losses. 
uh, with people passing away. Seems like, uh, uh, unfortunately, more than they should, you know? Guys were dying at a young age. How, did, how does that affect you? Yeah, you know, um, and, you know, some of the guys have come back for alumni games and brought their families and, you know, you get to know their kids and their spouse and, um, you know, you just, you really, you know, feel for the Syracuse community, but you really feel for the families, especially, you know, you've got to know them a little bit and, um, yeah, it's hard. I mean, um, it's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, you're kind of losing a family member and, uh, it's, it's difficult, Dave, you know, it, it's difficult, it's emotional. And, and then obviously the, the, the alumni that were teammates of that, you know, particular player, you know, you, you hear from them and you think about them. And, uh, of course, the, the longer you coach and the more teams you're part of them, the more you're going to more we're going to see that right especially with the number of years that i've i've been associated with the program so it, it's tough and we feel for their immediate families and, and for the syracuse lacrosse community you know it's it's funny as an outsider looking into the program one of the things that we all as opponent coaches used to respect is the participation in the alumni of Syracuse lacrosse into helping the players that were on the teams as they, as they're still on the teams. I don't think there's been a stronger group that kind of rallied the troops when things are through going, teams are going through tough times. And when you had that run of all those final fours in a row, it just seemed around, you know, at the beginning of May, that the Syracuse lacrosse program circled the wagons, their former players, and did everything they could to push those teams over the finish line. Yeah. Um, I don't have a great answer for that, although, you know, winning winning helps that, right? I think winning, you know, helps with the, with the family and, and keeps them tight. But, you know, I think a lot of it had to do with, uh, you know, Roy Simmons Jr. and, um, even, uh, you know, I'd, I'd talked to a lot of alum who, who played for, uh, Roy Simmons senior and from all sports and they, they just speak so kindly of him. So I give a lot of credit to, I think the Simmons family, uh, for creating and, uh, nurturing those, those relationships. And, uh, again, the, the way you, people coach and uh, our staff is coached, I think uh, helps, helps with that also. Um, you know, back in the day, Dave, you'd be able to grab somebody by the face mask and, or kick them in the pants. And, you know, you, you can't do that anymore. And, and all of a sudden you, you know, you might say something that's a little too personal and um, you know, right, right. Never did that. And uh, I, I hope I never did it. Uh, maybe early on a couple of times, but, uh, you know, the players tend to remember those things and that doesn't create for great long-term relationships. And, um, so I think a little bit to do with the coaching and how the, the guys were handled, handled a little bit to do with the winning and the cohesiveness and, um, you know, and just, you know, being good teammates. What was your fondest memory of Syracuse?
Well, um, when a handful of us decided to come to Syracuse from the area, I think there were three or four of us from West Tennessee High School that came in the one class, and then oh, guys like uh, Tommy Abbott, who had gone to, he was a FM guy, had gone to Navy and then transferred back to Syracuse. Um, and so they're handful of Larry Stoyer, a great player out of Lafayette. Um, there are a handful of us that uh, came to Syracuse. Syracuse wasn't very good. And I think Roy had just been given, um, he'd been given some scholarship money. So he was able to keep some guys at home. Uh, I mean, a few of us came, we came without scholarships. Uh, earned partial uh, a year or two after being on the team. But uh, we weren't very good. And all of a sudden, you know, we had a strong freshman group, uh, you know, and, you know, some, some obviously some good seniors. Uh, well, all of a sudden we started winning games. And then uh, I think my uh, was my senior year. We ended up going to uh, the playoffs, ended up losing to Maryland by a couple of goals. So, we, I, you know, I, I think those teams were special. And obviously winning the first national championship in 1983, uh, that kind of got the ball rolling, um, you know, that, that was special. Um, you know, we were down, I remember being down 12 to five to Hopkins and people literally walking out of the stadium and you could see the smoke from the, the grills and the tailgates going in the, <laughs> in the third quarter and a, and a little bit embarrassing. And then uh, being down 12 to five and to come back to win 17 to 16, that's certainly a special, special memory. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, that's a good, good question. Walking into the Carrier Dome for the first time, that's a, that's a pretty good memory. Yes, yes, you have. How about if, if you could, of all, what's your most disappointed loss? A game that you felt like, for whatever reason, it was just a, a, a punch in the gut. Oh, I think it was probably, uh, Trying to remember the year, the great Bill Tierney was coaching at uh, Princeton, and we had a couple chances to tie the game up at the end, and uh, we missed some what we thought were some easy goals. And Princeton ended up winning, um, I think, Bill's first national championship at, at Princeton, and that was the kind of game that, that brought them back into the limelight. And I think that was a that was a tough one because we were used to winning those games and, uh, you know, going against, uh, the great Bill Tierney that, uh, and, and, and losing that game was, was tough because of a tradition that we had. So sometimes you remember the losses more than you remember the wins. Yeah. No kidding. Was that the 92 team at Franklin field? Was that the yeah, Franklin field right. game? Yeah. I, I was right. at that game and I was at the tennis shoe game at Rutgers when you were down 12-5 and the Hopkins player lost a shoe and went back to you get it, that was you, – you, I can remember because I just got into college coaching at the time and you could see this this program start to erupt. And, uh, you know, down 12-5 and there was only one way to get back and that was to run the whole second half and you guys sprinted for an entire second half. Yeah, 
And well, you know, and you got uh, you go back to that game. You got guys like Brad Cotts on the faceoff, right? And you know, you come up with a ball, and you got a first-team All-American going to the goal off off of the faceoff. You're able to create some of that transition, and, and our goalies started to make some saves uh, in the fourth quarter. Uh, and that uh, Travis Solomon and, and uh, got he's good outlet and got the ball out, and uh, it was big for us. Now, you you get into the ACC. Was that a good thing, bad thing for Syracuse? Uh, did you enjoy being in the league? I did. I kind of – well, for lacrosse, I mean, we didn't have any say in it, right? So we, we went from the Big East Conference to the ACC Conference. And it was probably another $15 million or so to the – to the university by joining the conference. Uh, and uh, the Big East was, uh, I think we became, you know, you become close with the coaches in your conference and you get to know the teams. And we obviously had a lot of success in the in the Big East. And, you know, you kind of wrestle with, geez, you know, being in the Big East. And even back then, you know, when you think about sports like basketball, in football and how great the Big East was in basketball. Uh, you kind of associate yourself with that too. And then we were having good success in the Big East and you kind of wondered myself as a coach then, it's great to be in the ACC. It's probably going to help with the recruiting. And, but do you really need to uh, have that kind of competition every week? <laughs> You know, or in the ACC, you could, or in the Big East, you could kind of build up to it, and, and uh, you know, try to get your uh, uh, your conference championship and and raise your level as you go on. And um, it was good being in the ACC. I I, I enjoyed it. Uh, some great coaches, great programs, obviously in the ACC. It was disappointed when you know when Maryland left, but they they left for the probably similar reasons that we left the Big East for. Um, but uh, and. Yeah, very competitive, and I think a lot of t- a lot of times you hear in the recruiting process, "Hey, coach, this is an ACC guy," you know, in, in recruiting. So you're thinking of a a big, strong, athletic kid with with good skills and a competitor. And um, so, yeah, I, I think it was you know good being in the ACC. Your your last recruiting class, I guess, is the 2022 class uh, that is going to Syracuse. It may be, have been one of your best recruiting classes. How did that all come about? Well, I think we, uh, with COVID, we were better Zoomers than anybody else. <laughs> <laughs> we had, uh, you know, we had some nice, uh, we had some nice video of the university and I think parents were coming up and doing a, you know, a walking tour on, on their own because as coaches, we couldn't be there for that. Um, so we spent a lot of time, uh, you know, kind of FaceTiming or on the phone and, and, and Zooming. And I think that, you know, I think the guys in that class were kind of Syracuse guys. You know, it's uh, um, competitors, uh, athletic. Um, I think all probably grew up watching some great Syracuse teams. And I think because of, uh, I won't mention any names, probably don't want to break any NCAA rules. Um, but I, I just think they were, uh, you know, I think they're, they're Syracuse guys. 
and uh, I look forward to uh, watching them go, you know, because I think some number of them are going to contribute at a very early age, like their, their freshman class. Now, 40, 46 years at Syracuse, a player and a coach, when did you know it was time to, to say goodbye? That's a great question. Um, yeah, I was talking about it with uh, the athletic director, and I, I wrestled with uh, with it, especially with the you know the twenty two class coming in. I didn't want it to affect that, and um, I just uh, I guess I just kind of felt it it was time, and I'm still uh, you know Gary and, and uh, Gate is. Uh, been uh, reached out and been very welcoming and I've been up watching the team practice and and uh, you know I, I, David Petromala I consider a good friend uh, so I've been talking with him a lot and Pat March who, who I hired a few years ago will do a great job with the offense and and Gary and he very very all those guys are very good recruiters so I'm, I'm can't wait to see where that's going to go from there um, and I, I th think what's making it easier for me now is the, the fact that I can be part of the team and and uh, and contribute in whatever way I can. And uh, it, you know, it's a it's a good question. I just think it uh, was was time and and uh, had a great run. Um, I tell you, I didn't I didn't last summer didn't miss being out and. 95 degrees and 100% humidity sitting in a chair next to a <laughs> watching a lacrosse game, going back to the hotel and scraping the sunscreen off and <laughs> yeah. getting it up and doing it all over again. I didn't, I didn't miss that piece of it. I have a, we have a place on uh, skinny Atlas Lake, which is just outside of Syracuse. And I thoroughly enjoyed the, the summer out there. You know, it's funny. I, when I used to come up and scout Syracuse, when you became the head coach, I used to sit up in the press box next to next to Jim Bayheim and Coach Simmons sitting there in the press box. Now it'll be your turn to sit up in the press box and watch one of your former players take the helm of Syracuse. How, how proud are you of that? Uh, I am. It's uh, you know not that it was really important that they keep an, an alum there, but I, it makes me excited that they did and. You know, Gary's had such great success with uh, the women's program and I think looking to bring that over to the men's. And I, I don't think he's, you know, totally let the women go either. You know, the fact that he is in the same building and has recruited those those ladies. And, I, you know, I'm, I'm sure he'll, you know, his staff played for him for the most part. And um, I'm sure he'll have his hand in there and, and help them in any way he can. Um, but I, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, and uh, Jim Beheim's been a, a good friend over the years. Uh, so if he's if he's there watching, it'll be great to be amongst friends and Coach Simmons Jr. Obviously. Um, so I'm looking to that piece of it, and I can yell down with my <laughs> with my dismay about who's doing what, right or wrong. <laughs> That's funny. So can, I'm looking forward to the day, and I, I will. I'm, I'm already going to the Johns Hopkins Syracuse game on March 12th. I'll look forward to the day when the 
Desco statue is outside the, the dome because there certainly will be one and deserves to be one. Coach, I really appreciate your time. I appreciate what you've done for lacrosse. I appreciate your loyalty to Syracuse. And most of all, I appreciate the class and dignity that you show every single day. And uh, you're a heck of a guy. And uh, coach, you know, we all wish you nothing but the best. Well, thanks again, David, for those kind words. You've been a, a great friend over the years. And um, I always look forward to uh, talking with you and, and hopefully we can be together and maybe we can even uh, maybe we'll sit together at that Hopkins Syracuse game. So <laughs> I, and you, uh, you were kind enough to take me over to GNM last time we were down and it was probably might've been the best crab cake I've ever had. So I look forward to sharing another one with you. You have an open invitation when you're in <laughs> town, we'll go again. Coach, thanks for everything. And I'll, I'll talk to you offline next week. Coach Cottle. Thank you. Bye John. <laughs>